0: It's time now for The Complete Story with Rich and Dick Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network, to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich and Dick Bott with today's Complete Story.
1: Uh, you know, Rich, uh, have you ever thought, I'm sure you have, what a crucible is what, in, in history? When did they use a crucible...
0: Well, in the Middle Ages, I believe, but it was also like a torture device, but it it has the idea of the cross, you know, the crucifix has the same root word.
1: But isn't that also something that was used to refine something? To well, really put it under pressure and refine it.
0: To put something through the fire yeah. so that you come out with something that's very refined yes. and, and the dross drops well, away. As
1: I have as I have that, I'm always the purifying and refining it and making it its very best. That's what God does sometimes. You So know? when a person gets into a bad situation, and I know there's people listening right now, and they say, I'm in a bad situation. I just don't know where I'm gonna turn or anything like that. Many times that's the crucible of life. And testing. And testing and that sort of thing. Now we had a friend, uh, a wonderful friend, Gail McWilliams. She lived in Dallas, Texas, and she was blind. And she's home to be with the Lord now. But um but I'm telling you I've never I've never encountered a person more positive and have more joy of the Lord in her heart than Gail McWilliams. I have a a sound clip. Matter of fact, from times that we interviewed her, we we retained many. I want our listeners right now to listen to what Gail McWilliams had to say about a crucible. Here it is. He has walked with me through this crucible.
2: And I think that's probably where most people are. Sometimes they're either in the middle of the fire or just coming out of the fire or headed into the fire. And I want to encourage everyone today that no matter where you are in your journey, you're not alone. The fire shall not consume you and the flood shall not overtake you. There's someone greater than yourself who walks with
1: you. All right, now that's Gail Williams, and she sure knew what she was talking about. Uh, now that really is a wonderful introduction to the main portion of this complete story broadcast, because one of the finest interviews I've ever heard on this subject was done by our own Janet Mefford, and tell the folks a little bit about where they could hear her program on BOT Radio Network.
0: Yes. Well, Janet Mefford's broadcast is on all of our BOT Radio Network stations. On most of them, she's in the evening time, but some of them, some of our older stations, she's on in the afternoon. Janet Mefford today.
1: Yeah. Well, she was interviewing Melissa Oden, O-D-E-N, and I was transfixed when I heard Melissa Oden's story. Listen, folks, I know, I know, believe me, Shirley and I, who've been married 65 years, we know what it is for the family to grow and grow. And my goodness, now we're gonna have another child, which of course always turned out to be a blessing, but you didn't know exactly at the moment, you know, how you were gonna handle all this. But I wanna tell you that life is given from God and every life is important. Could we get that straight? in our public schools to teach the children that? Could we get that straight in our churches uh, so that they would know it's in the Bible, how important every every child from the moment of conception is? Could we get it straight? Now listen, listen, folks, to uh, Melissa Oden's story as told to Janet Mefford. Here it is. Melissa Oden was
2: a teenager when she learned that she survived a botched abortion, and she is out with a new book talking about her journey from anger and guilt to forgiveness. Great book. You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. Melissa, it is just so great to have you here. Thank you for being with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about your background. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard you standing for life on Capitol Hill, and you've been out and about talking a little bit. But I'm sure there are many more who have not heard how you found out you were... Supposed to be aborted. Talk a little bit about how you found out what happened to you
3: yeah, i was I was raised in a home of great faith, a home where I knew where I was that I was adopted, you know never felt less than or any of those things. And when I was fourteen years old, the truth about my survival came to light. And really through a very unplanned set of circumstances, mm-hmm. my older sister, who's also adopted, faced an unplanned pregnancy herself as a high school student right. and was considering all of her options at the time. You know, I'm grateful that she told her parents that she, she was trying to make a decision. And I'm even more thankful that my parents felt that it was important to tell her the story of my survival, hoping that she could really understand the depths of that decision she was considering. And, um, you know, after she found out my story, she did choose life for her son and went on to have other children but you know like any good teenage girl she didn't keep that story that she heard a secret Ugh, from me
2: right well, it was in a fight wasn't it when it she was. revealed it yeah it
3: was, <sighs> it was you know it, it's interesting because my mom, my mom my adoptive mom as some people know her about mom and my mom said, when people read this book, I don't want them to think like we were just leaving it up to your sister to tell you. And I said, no, 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 Mom. I think, I think they're going to catch it. We were, we were sisters. We fought a lot. And before they could get to me themselves... Yes, my sister let it slip to me in an argument. My sister actually yelled at me. She said, you know, Missy, at least my biological parents wanted me. Oh,
2: that's rough. That is rough. So, is. Yeah, so then it was uh, on oh, your well, mom, it was on your mom then, wasn't it, to, to tell you what happened?
3: It was, it was. So, you know, that night, my sister, you know, just had said, wait up for mom and dad tonight, ask them to tell you the truth. And she said these ominous words, you will see. And I did see, you know, mom and I sat together for hours that night. I could just tell there was something that she needed to say and she didn't really want to. But I never saw this one coming. And so she blurted the words that night. She said, you know, Missy, your biological mother had an abortion during her pregnancy with you and you survived it
2: amazing. Well, and I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because you find out more about that later on, but what was your reaction? Obviously, total shock, but did you think for a moment, how could I have survived an abortion?
3: Oh, absolutely. Like, how does this happen? Right? I mean, how could this have happened? And and why would anybody do this to me? And and gosh, I've never heard of anything like this before. I must be the only one, right?
2: Yeah. No. And I'm not. No, you're not. What was a saline abortion? Is that
3: right? It was. It was. It was a saline infusion abortion, which was, you know, the most common procedure thirty-nine years ago. And and um, you know, somebody sent me a message this morning and said, "Well, she must be lying, right? Because there's another lady who survived a saline infusion abortion, and her story's too much like hers." Oh, well, that's Gianna Jessen. And, yeah, <laughs> and and our stories are actually incredibly different. Um, but yes, we survived the same procedure just a few months. Um, in a few months span of time in
2: 1977. Oh my, that is awful. So how did you cope with it? What happened to you emotionally in the aftermath of learning this information? What all went through your head?
3: I coped poorly, I'll be honest. You know, in the book, I detail that really for the first time. I, you know, for a while, I was in a pretty good spot, right? Just kind of trying to, to cope with it. And I had a great supportive family and church and even my public school and my friends, the few that I told um, but as time went on, the culture really weighed heavily on me. You know, this culture that says, well, you know, you're a mistake, right? This was not supposed to happen. If it was successful, you'd be dead, right? And um, it, it, was, it was a choice. It was a right. And so I came to this place where I really despised myself. I did not want to be this person. I didn't want to be this abortion survivor. And all I felt was incredible pain, thinking that my birth mother must have hated me, right? If she would have done this and so I struggled with an eating disorder I struggled with alcohol abuse you know what I engaged in inappropriate relationships just trying to distance myself from who I was. Oh, and what goodness. I did, of course, was create more suffering.
2: Yeah. But, you know, in your defense, this would be bombshell news for anybody. And the problem with that is there aren't a lot of people you probably could even go to in the whole country who survived an abortion. So probably the isolation also was difficult.
3: Definitely. You you really hit the nail on the head, Janet. That's so true, right? Because it was like uh, nobody understands me and, and and there's nowhere I can turn to. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I coped probably like most 14-year-olds and probably like a 41-year-old would yeah. if they were in
2: yeah. my shoes. Right. Oh, absolutely. What, what point, at what point, Melissa, did you try to find out what happened? And because you did go, you wanted to have contact l- later with your, your parents, your biological parents. Tell us a little bit about that journey, how that all kind of came together.
3: Yeah, and people ask me sometimes, right? Like why would you go looking for them? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is very simple, right? I mean, God right. God called me to go looking for them. And and the other flip side of that is that I desperately wanted some answers. Sure. And so when I was 19, I started that journey and you know, didn't find them until I was about 30 years old. So it's about 11 years that <laughs> I searched and And I often joke, you know, I'm a pretty good detective. I I did a lot of investigation in those 11 years, um, ended up moving to the same city where the abortion took place in the midst of that, which allowed me this further opportunity to search libraries and, you know, pour over all sorts of things. And so in 2007, I ultimately found my biological parents, but only because when I received my medical records, they forgot to black out their their names in one little spot.
2: Oh, my. Yeah, because it wasn't an open adoption then. So you you had a little bit of digging that you had to do.
3: Right. Yes. And for somebody like me, right, where something like this has happened, I really felt like there, there were additional obstacles in my way. People didn't, you know, really want this story to get out.
2: No, I would imagine not. Well, didn't you write your father a letter? Was that the first step that you took in order to make contact?
3: Yeah. So in 2007, when I found out who my biological parents were, started searching. And, you know, that same night here, I learned that I'm living in the very same city that he was.
1: <sighs>
3: he had grown up in the city where the abortion took place, stayed there, at, you know, came back there after he went to college. And um, so here we were in the very same city. God is so good. Yeah. And um, sent him a letter to his office. You know, kind of trying to protect them a little bit mm. and told them, you know, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm blessed, I'm not angry, I'm not bitter. I would love to communicate with you someday oh. and never heard back.
2: Oh, I, I'm just trying to picture getting a letter like that. Oh, this child that you had, I didn't die. I mean, that, that must have been an incredible shock.
3: Yeah, well, and, you know, the more I, I learn over the years, the more I have reason to believe, Janet, that he did not ever know that I survived. Oh, wow. Wow. And and so then I think about that, right? Like, he had to have thought this was some terrible joke.
2: Maybe. Yeah, that's maybe what happened. But you never were able to meet him, right, because he died.
3: That's right. So I I came to a place of peace and accepted that I would probably never get a response. But I I did Google his name from time to time. Um, I can joke about that now. My husband had told me not to do that, but I did it. And... (laughs) I stumbled across his obituary in January of 2008. And, you know, I questioned God that night. You know, after so many years of searching, we were in the same city and he was gone. And and God spoke very clearly to me that night and said, be patient (sighs) because my plan is much greater.
2: Melissa survived an abortion, not as the mother, but as the baby, and she is telling her story from her book, You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. So we were to the point in the story, Melissa, where you had sent a letter to your biological father, hadn't heard back, found out that he had died, and then found out that his family was cleaning out the office and found the letter. What happened from there?
3: yeah so, and of course, I didn't even know that that was happening, right? I was kind of searching for them, and what I didn't know was that at the same time they were searching for me, uh-huh. so after they found his letter, um, of course they learned that that I was there in the same city and that I was starting to do public ministry, um, and they tried connecting with me, and I, I kind of missed <laughs> I missed that happening. Uh-huh. Until right after our our oldest daughter was born, and she just happened to be born at the same hospital where my life was supposed to end. Mm, mm. Trust me, I didn't plan on doing that. I didn't really want to do that. And God just worked out all those details in spite (laughs) of me. Oh, man. Um, And not long after she was born, I received a card in the mail, and it was from my biological father's family.
2: Uh, What was that like?
3: Um, absolutely surreal. You know, it's funny because it's been about almost nine years now since that happened, and now I still get really choked up about it because it's again one of those things that I had always wanted, but I I never expected. And um, so now my grandfather and my great aunt from my birth father's family are a huge part of our lives still today. Oh wow! What, and your father kept that letter. I mean, the fact that they found it, he didn't throw it away. Exactly. I think he had to, because I shared the things that I did. <laughs> Nobody else could have known wow. the things that I knew.
2: Yeah, that that's stunning. So you eventually met your mother. This is an incredible story that you tell in the book about finally meeting her and what you learned. Share with the audience about that. What happened?
3: Yeah, so uh, in 2007, when I found out who she was, I actually couldn't find her physically through my searching, but I found her parents and um, sent them a letter, not knowing that it was my own grandmother that was responsible for all of these things. Mm. Uh, And they were kind enough to reply to me, you know, I'm I'm grateful for that. But sadly, they said in their letter back then that my messages to my birth mother wouldn't be passed along because they were completely estranged. Mm. And so really, once again, you know, the story of my life, right, have (laughs) to learn to live in peace, let things go, accept. And so I did. And I went on with my life. And lo and behold, in 2013, her cousin contacted me and just said, you know, we really feel like it's time to, to let you know that there's even more to this story. And so my cousin was kind enough to tell me about the abortion being forced upon her, that it was my own grandmother who was a nurse that was responsible for all of these things. And open the lines of communication with my half sisters and ultimately with my biological mother and then we spent about three years just really getting to know each other you know sending pictures emails letters all of these things and we met face to face for the first time uh, late last spring
2: oh my goodness that's well it sounds like when she had the abortion she didn't know you were alive she didn't know you survived it
3: you're correct I never could have saw that coming.
2: Yeah. That blew me away. When I read that in the book, I thought, can you imagine? I mean,
3: I, I can't on any
2: of your parts, your mom, your dad, you, I just oh, what, what a situation to be in. Why? What? Ha- like, how do you survive an abortion and then they don't tell you your baby's still alive?
3: Right. I know. There's like I always tell people, like, the more I learn, the more questions I have. To sure. Um, yeah. um, and, and God and I are going to have long conversations someday. I know this. Uh, but what I do know is that when I was delivered at the hospital, my grandmother was there and, you know, was not happy that I survived. Um, that was not supposed to happen. And I understand that probably she was shocked and, and worried and scared and, um, you know, actually demanded that I be left to die oh, man. there in the hospital room. And, you know, over the years, we were told that a couple of nurses fought for me. And my biological mother was able to share this story with me just recently that one of those nurses actually took me from the room and rushed me to the nursery, believing that if other people knew I was alive, then maybe, maybe I wouldn't be left to die. Oh. And so, you know, there had to have been a lot of craziness going on when I was delivered, but my birth mother had been undergoing this procedure for five days, longer than oh. what she oh. should have been. Yeah. And You know, when I say she was forced, you know, people can use their imagination. Think about this for a second. This was not her decision. And so we can imagine, right, what kind of condition she was in, what was done to her to make this happen. And so when I was delivered, she was not in any state mentally, emotionally, spiritually to to be aware of what was happening. And she was told, don't look at it. Mm. It's hideous. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And of course. In her mind, she's thinking, no, I should not look because, look, I don't want to see what just happened to my baby, right? Right. She wasn't thinking, oh, gosh, they're telling me not to look at it because, ah, oh, she's alive. That, she didn't know I was a girl. She didn't know any of those things.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, what I don't understand, and I guess maybe it's I don't remember how old your mom was. Was She, she was a minor when she had? She was 19. You? 19. Okay. Well, because I was going to say, why wouldn't the hospital staff share with her your baby's still alive and then go on to take you and to adopt you out? I mean, d- didn't your mother
3: have any right to know that? That's, and that's where most of our questions lie, like who knew what and who was responsible for what. What I do know is that she and I have compared records and the signature on my adoption paperwork is not hers Oh, under normal circumstances. Now, maybe she was in such a condition that they, you know, had her scribble her name on something. I don't know. But I also know that my grandmother was a woman that was in a very powerful position. Oh,
2: my Boy, you have so much to work through, Melissa, with the whole story and how it all happened and all the family involved. And how do you get to a place of being able to forgive? Because so much happened to you that's just <laughs> unbelievable. That I, I just, yeah, I'm like, staggered. by. where do
4: you start, right? Where do you
2: start? And how, how do you get to a place where you say, I forgive all of you? And I mean, it's got to be difficult, but what was that like for you to be able to say, Mom, Dad, I forgive you?
3: You know, that's... Um that's why I can get through the craziness of all of this because I have forgiven. And, you know, I always tell people like the first time I forgave them was so long ago when I was still a teenager, you know, I, even though I didn't know all the circumstances, you know, I knew in my heart that I was called to forgive them in the way that I've been forgiven and, and to love the way that I've been loved. And so, um, you know, at first that seed would first was planted years ago, but, as time goes on, I mean, the love deepens and the forgiveness is, is something that I have to choose every single day. You know, as the pieces about my grandmother came out, it was like, no, please, no, don't, yeah. let, don't let this be true. But guess what? It is true. And so I have to forgive once again. And, and that, that's what gets me through it.
2: Yeah. Oh, and you know what, I'm going to say this trying not to cry myself because I'm just so moved by what happened to you. But clearly, God protected you. You had someone above the situation making sure that you lived, that you got into a family, that you went on to have your own children. I mean, that's, despite all the horrors of it, that's beautiful. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing of grace that you see in your life.
3: Yeah, and he wants that for everybody. And he's writing that. I mean, I do... I know that we go through circumstances in our life, right, where somebody is probably questioning right now and saying, God cannot be present in what is happening yeah. in my life. But I say, hold on, <laughs> hold on. He's, he is there right now, and you're going to see what he's doing, but you're going to see it later. Yes. We don't understand it at the time, right? Right. And later we get to go, oh, I get it now.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. Well, what do you think, if anything, is still kind of outstanding in being able to close the book for you, or do you think it'll be open for you in some ways for the rest of your life?
3: Oh boy, that's such a great question. You know, I like to think that I'm in a spot where I'm I'm done. But I also know that God's not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Good point. So I would have to say The book is not finished yet, Um, and I look forward to seeing what the rest of the chapters look like.
2: Well, that's a good place to be in. And that's uh, right. Exactly. You're you're on your way. I'm sure there's a lot more ahead. And you have been such a strong voice for life, Melissa. You have, I know, encouraged so many people. And and you really are a living, breathing example of the grace of God. And I know how many people have been moved by what's happened to you. And I know they're going to love your book. And again, I want to give out the title. It is called You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir. You've got to check it out, Melissa Oden. Such an honor to talk to you, Melissa. I just loved it and I'm so glad you were able to be with us.
1: Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Hey, Rich, I was just as I was listening to this, there were so many elements that were coming through. First of all, the grandma. She was a very powerful nurse in that hospital. So she was part of the medical community, but I want to tell you folks when the medical community does not have a heart for God and they do not respect human life, Uh, Why, here you got grandma, for heaven's sake, trying to make sure the kid is dead. That's grotesque, but that's what was part of that story, and it's not that uncommon. Uh, Now, Rich, do you remember Jill Stenick? She was a nurse in a hospital in Illinois. I believe Mm -hmm. it was called Christ Hospital.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: And she discovered a little baby in the dirty linen closet. And in such cases as we've just heard the little babies, if they survived, they were put in with the dirty linens and that's where Jill Stenick found that little baby. She was a young nurse. And she couldn't. She held that little baby, but it had already been in that dirty linen closet too long. But she held it and loved it for as long as it lived. So, this is the story for each and every one of us. That's why I'm so much in favor of babies that have been adopted. For goodness sake, let the kid live. And uh, and that's so important. What what would you add? Really well, quick? I love the question
0: that she asked. How did you get to a point where you could forgive? What oh, that's man. that's the turning
1: point in the whole story. Forgiveness. Listen, folks. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Each and every one of us have something. We need to forgive somebody else, and I'll tell you this: it's pretty nice if they forgive us, because that's a heavy load to have to carry. And when you ask someone else to please forgive me, me, well, you can lay it down. Right, and uh, that's the
0: grace of God that allows you to be able to do that. And
1: knowing that God is in the picture, if we will only let him lead the way. Now, I was going through some of my old recordings a while back, and I discovered a recording artist by the name of Sue Dodge, and she recorded this song. We've used it by other artists at other times. I've never heard her do it. And listen to this
4: I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes. I often slip. I'm just common flesh. But I'll prove someday just why I say that I'm of a special.
1: I heard a while back somebody preaching and they said you know most of us can accept the fact that the lord died for the whole world or they can accept the fact that the lord died for everybody but the most difficult part is to accept the fact that the lord died for me and that song really nails it because it was you and it was me and it was the individual people that are listening right now for whom Christ died.
0: For all of us, because there is none righteous, no, not one. And Christ died for the sins of the world. He died for the sins of each one I, of us.
1: Listen, we got to get out of here. Now listen, folks, I want to hear from you on our listener comment line, because we learned from you. And we really have it transcribed, every message that comes in. Um, and the listener comment line is 800 800- all right, now listen, 345-2621, 800-345-2621. 2, 2, 2, 2, Let us hear from you. And hey, Wyoming, and, um, and up in- South Ra- Dakota. Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, let's Arkansas. Hear from you we got to get out of here. This is Dick Bott with his chapter of The Complete Story uh, as a public service. See you later.